I thought this morning on the way into my, my introduction, I would say something to the effect of, here is your annual sermon on church attendance. But then I realized that uh, Paul talks about his intense desire to be face-to-face with the saints again in chapter 3. So this is one of at least two this year on being together, gathering as the church. We've seen in 1 Thessalonians We're at the end of chapter 2 now. We have seen thus far. Paul had this brief ministry among them. Fruitful. Fruitful ministry for a very short time, but he was driven out with his companions. We see in the text for next week where Paul was unable, he mentions it actually in the text for today, he's unable to be with them face to face. And so he does the next best thing, which is send Timothy, his son in the faith. And then he follows that up with this letter, one of two letters that he would write to the Thessalonian believers. With those things in mind, we will read the passage. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 17 through 20. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory. Ask again for the help of the Spirit to understand your word. And Father, specifically today, we want to have a heart for your people that you do. We want to have the heart for your people like Christ does, willing to shed his own blood, to see his life come to an end, to lay it down, so that we could be who we are. So, Father, we, as the church, we want to give ourselves to that same work. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title this morning in our series, More and More, Steadfast Toward the Day of Christ, the title today is Longing to Be together, longing to be together. And I'll just give you a couple of things you've heard me say over and over again to build this foundation of why this is important. Number one, Ephesians 5, Christ died, it says, for the church. Number two, Ephesians 3, it says, as Paul prays and in agreement with God, God will be glorified in the church and in Jesus Christ. He died for the church. God will receive eternal glory through the church. And so I'm just telling you today, I think the local church ought to be a high, high, high priority for every believer. 
that the church is worth our best efforts in the kingdom. And it is an opportunity we have every time we gather. So the theme this morning, lasting glory through the church elevates the importance of gathering together. Lasting glory through the church elevates the importance of gathering together. I want to give you three principles from this text this morning, three principles for gathering as the church. And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, and you'll, you'll notice, if you take notes, you're like, man, he sure does spend a lot of time on his first point. Usually, that has to do with preparation and the act of preaching. In both cases, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I can't preach for two hours. So I get through point one, and I've got a lot of good content. Hopefully, it lays a good foundation, and then I have to rush through everything else. Today, I'm intentionally giving a lot of priority to point one, just so you know. So if we go 20 minutes, and you're like, man, is he still on point one? Then yes, okay? Yes, I am. Three principles for gathering as the, as the church. First off, Divine providence presents challenges for us. Divine providence presents challenges for us. I think I worded it. Yes, yeah, sometimes presents challenges for us. Verses 17 and 18. What we read right there at the very beginning, his confession, this is what happened. We were torn away from you and then Satan prevented us from coming to you. Here's the point. God allows various challenges to our faith. And through them, we can increase in our faith. The fact of the matter, though, is that many of us fail to rise to the challenge. And we see a wonderful example here in Paul. We fail to rise to the challenge as he does. He was relentless in his love and desire for the churches, as will unfold throughout the sermon. But he does acknowledge these two realities here. First off, God allows inconveniences. And that's not a great word here, but it works. I think it works in terms of our application. God allows inconveniences. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what tore them away. We might come to the conclusion that it was that event at Jason's house that we have mentioned from Acts 17. When they were driven out, he mentions in verse 15. We covered that last week. Now, you might miss it here, but the word here for torn away, hear this, hear this. The word here for torn away describes the separation of a parent and a child when they become orphaned. That really elevates it, doesn't it? And it goes along with his, his prior language. You recall how he was like a nursing mother with her children among them. How he was like that father with good, godly instructions. And now it's as though these family members have been ripped apart. And the sources of nourishment and guidance in the early days of their faith were suddenly taken away. These babes in Christ were bereft of Paul's ministry. That's the word torn away. It's bereavement. Orphaned. And it was terribly inconvenient for the church. It was terribly inconvenient for the kingdom, as far as we can tell, how we would measure it. 
It's not good for this church to lose Paul's ministry, but God had plans for them, and it seems that he worked them out perfectly among them. It was inconvenient for the progress of the gospel, yet God allowed it. And we could say, we could say, you know, a, a lot of different things about speculation here. But let's, let's just acknowledge right now that God used the separation and this letter to build into this local church the kind of perseverance and steadfastness that would carry them toward the day of Christ. It seems that Paul's language throughout these letters is like, excitement and joy for how good they're doing like the progress they've made and so he fully expects that they will stand blameless on that day because they truly have been redeemed by jesus i would suggest to you under this god allows inconveniences that when those inconveniences come to you, when those inconveniences separate you from the saints, could it be that God intends to test you in obedience, as I believe He was doing for these Thessalonian believers? Could it be that God intends to test you in obedience rather than simply giving you an excuse to separate? What sort of inconveniences have separated you from the brothers and sisters? I'll give you a list that I think are likely, and I'll comment here. Work. Here's how it goes. Man, work. Work is routinely keeping me from church. And my response to that would be, have you considered requesting a different schedule or even finding a different job? Have you considered that? Some of you are like, Pastor, are you serious? I am dead serious. I am dead serious. It is that important. It is that important to your Christian walk and your growth and your maturity, your Christ-likeness. You need, you need the saints according to God's design. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's illness. Well, I became seriously ill. I think the person that has that response like Paul, I tried again and again and again. It's that person that's going to resort to the scriptures and say, man, you know what I can do? I may be ill. I may be stuck at home, but I'm going to do what James says. And he says, call on the elders of the church, have them come over, have them anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And in that context, he says, and the prayer of faith will heal you. So when's the last time you called on the elders of the church to anoint you, pray for your healing? And I know in the, the COVID era, we've tried to wisely keep others safe by staying away with our symptoms, but examine yourself. Am I being torn away? Or is this inconvenience actually a convenient excuse to separate? There's work, there's illness, there's caretaking. This is a real thing, folks. This is a real thing. It's a reality that we have to live with from time to time. We've had numerous saints among us who, for extended seasons, needed to tend to a spouse or another close family member. 
And those seasons are unfortunate. Like I said, there's not a lot we can do in that situation, but we want to obey Scripture and care for those in our own family. You know what Paul says to Timothy, like, uh, those people that don't care for their own family are worse than unbelievers. You have that responsibility. We want to support you in that responsibility. But nevertheless, we can't escape that feeling of being torn away. Like something is missing. And so I would ask you and the saints who are on the other end of it, how do we shore up that fellowship when that season comes? How do you maintain those discipling relationships when that season comes? God has provided much grace, much grace in those seasons. Let's take advantage of it. There's work, there's illness, there's caretaking, and there's hobbies. Hobbies. Many times it's a weekend hobby that, if not kept in check, routinely keeps us from the saints. You could list many things, all of which are avenues of separation. And I would just ask you do you hold that hobby in its proper place? Do you realize that? When you're not here, we truly miss you. It's a slippery slope into the sin, yes, what I said, sin of non-attendance. According to Hebrews 10.25, when non-attendance becomes a habit, it becomes a sin. My friend uh, Hobson Buteau, a pastor, he's written a book on the sin of non-attendance. And here's what he says. He says, the sin of non-attendance is the believer's willful and continual absence from regular corporate gatherings in a local church. And here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. This is not about a guilt trip. Like, I, I go out of my way not to make people feel guilty about not showing up at church, Right? Hopefully you, you've picked up a little bit of that. Maybe you felt guilty. It was not my intention. Please, please forgive me. It's not a guilt trip, but I sincerely, and I know many, many, many others feel this way. We sincerely feel that orphaned feeling when you are away for any length of time. Like the family at the dinner table with an empty chair that they wish for were filled by their loved one. Yes, God allows these inconveniences, but let me encourage you to accept that challenge, to pass the test, to rise to the occasion, see your desire for the saints grow. And you're gathering with the saints abound all the more, more and more. This happens. There's inconveniences. But as he mentions here, we were torn away, bereft of you brothers. But he also says, verse 18, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So God allows inconveniences, but God also allows interference. This is that that Job kind of, God is going to let Satan do whatever God wants to let him do. He's on a leash, if you will, in terms of God's will. He can only go so far. But God allows this kind of interference. Satan hindered us, he says. 
And while we said it doesn't specify what exactly tore them away, he does specify that when he tried to return, it was Satan, specifically the adversary that hindered him. Now, I want to make a note on spiritual maturity here. Paul was able to test the spirits, as 1 John tells us. He was able to test the spirits, and he could discern what was and was not from the enemy. Do you feel like you have that kind of discernment in the faith? Really immature believers are those that are quick to blame the devil for everything, when in reality it was probably just the sinful flesh. And yes, Satan is the father of all lies, but he doesn't, he doesn't tell every single lie. You understand how the flesh operates. The world operates under the dominion of the God of this world, Satan. We ought to seek that kind of mature discernment in our spiritual life that we can test the spirits, that we can be discerning. But he says here, it was most assuredly Satan who hindered us. It was Satan that stopped us. This word hindered, this word uh, is, a, is a Greek word that pictures a military convoy. You get the idea? Uh, trucks and uh, tanks, and they're going along the road, and all of a sudden they encounter what the enemy has done, and they have, they have literally, it's cut into. They have messed up the way. They have messed up the road so badly that it is impassable. It stops progress. It halts the offensive maneuvers. There are occasions when the enemy interferes and even halts our godly kingdom efforts. And what do you do? What do you do? Do you, do you turn around? Oh, well, it's just too bad. I'm going to go home, I guess. No war. No battle. Go home. I hope you don't give up that easily. What did Paul say that he did? This is interesting because he's speaking on behalf of these other brothers. He constantly says, we. And right here he says, I. Like I'm owning this for myself. Paul says, I, Paul, again and again tried to come to you. Some of your versions may say once and twice. That's not, it doesn't mean he tried twice and then he quit. No. The, the indication is that he tried and tried and tried again and again and again. Every opportunity he looked for and Satan prevented him from getting there. He tried again and again and again to get back to them to see them face to face. And now after these attempts, which probably span over several months, he sends Timothy. Then he sends this letter. Whether it's inconveniences or interferences from Satan himself, are you going to try again and again? Are you going to prioritize face-to-face with the church? I'd like to offer up something additional. I want to speak to those who should be leaders in the church, especially men. Paul was torn away, and I imagine that folks around Thessalonica, these believers that were pretty new, I imagine that some of them realized real quickly, we got to grow up fast if Paul's not going to be here. We got to step in. 
We need those mothers. We need those fathers. We're going to have to grow up quickly. Y'all know those stories. Sometimes you hear the stories about families that are in such bad shape and the kids will end up testifying like, man, I had to figure some things out real quick. That's what was happening, folks. These people knew Paul was not going to be able to come to them face to face. And we got Timothy for a little bit. But we need these people to step up. And so some had to jump in and fill the roles of those nursing mothers and those instructing fathers. And I'll say this, ladies, I think you have a wonderful opportunity among the ladies, the other ladies here at Cedarview. There's some great fellowship that occurs. There's a lot of good nursing mother, you know, role being filled among us. But I will say, men, we have a lot of work to do. We need more strong, faithful men in the home and in the church. It's going to cause somebody to grow up a little quicker than they, than they thought they would. There's challenges that come. But in God's design, he is doing something we can't necessarily put our finger on. In this case, Paul is torn away. He's prevented by Satan. And yet, the Thessalonian believers become exactly what God intends. Divine providence sometimes presents challenges. Secondly, physical separation strengthens our longing for the church. Physical separation strengthens our longing for the church. He also says here these Words face to face. It says we're torn away in person, not in heart. And now we're familiar with that phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, Paul here, he says our heart connection is great, but face to face is always better. Face to face is always better. He refused to settle for anything less if he could help it. Face to face is always better. I wanted you to read that on the screen. Face-to-face is always better, and and I will, I suppose, uh, speak to the camera, to those maybe watching a live stream. Don't believe the lie that a weekly live stream is the same thing as gathering with the church. Your relationships become malnourished, and your obedience to the word becomes impossible. Your faith becomes utterly selfish in the long run. Your growth is stunted if growth is even happening at all. Furthermore, you know that face-to-face is far better than every other situation. Imagine telling your child you're going to FaceTime them for the rest of their birthdays, that you're going to stream family reunions, that you're going to conference call over dinner time that you'll just you'll just watch the stream of their graduation have you tried virtual discipline on your children have you tried virtual potty training with your children look we are doing nothing less than that in the spiritual sense among the saints you simply cannot do it from a distance Oh, you can offer a bit here and there via the waves, 
the web, whatever it may be. But we must rely on face-to-face meetings. Some people say the church is going to be totally virtual in the future. I say that's garbage. I say the saints, the true saints of God, will always worship together face-to-face. Always. But you know, you know, you know how ridiculous all that sounds. All those virtual things, as if they accomplish anything significant. Furthermore, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know you know that anything like virtual attendance still completely strips the rest of us of your ministry. We want you here. We want to see you face to face, if at all possible. And I think it's safe to say we ought to expect one another to try again and again and again and again. It was not my intention to draw any particular attention to Miss Sue. But Miss Sue has been torn away from us for the better part of a few months at this point. And you know, I know her well enough to know that every Sunday when she wasn't able to gather with us, she had that bereft feeling. And as soon as she was able, she said, I'm going to try. I'm going to get there again. And again and again. We ought to have that desire. We ought to have that expectation. And so, whether it's watching online or whether you're here today, the message is the same. It brings us to two questions I would ask from the text. First off, Paul says, he says, we endeavored, because we were torn away, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Why? Verse 18, because we wanted to come to you. So I would ask you the first question, do you have the desire? Do you have the desire? If the answer is no, then the only thing I can tell you is to dig deeply into the heart of God. And I'm convinced you will discover this endless fountain of loving and cherishing and longing for the people of God. And it will well up within you with a a relentless desire to minister to one another face to face among the saints. To surround yourself with the saints of God, those being transformed by God as the family of God, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ. Do you have the desire, secondly, will you endeavor more eagerly? So if you say yes, wholeheartedly I have the desire, then let's put some legs on that apparent desire. What steps will you take to be face to face? How will it change from this point forward? Who is holding you accountable for that? And do they know that today? Do they know what you're committing to? Do they know what temptations you face? Rely on them. If you desire to be face to face, then as Paul did, do as Paul did, endeavor more eagerly and with great desire.
to be among the saints. Thirdly, third principle, together ministry multiplies our glory and joy before Christ. Verses 19 and 20. He says here, he says here, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. In light of all the other things that we're tempted to give ourselves to, I would tell you this morning, first off, other endeavors quickly fade. Other endeavors quickly fade. Some hope for glory and joy and things like work and things like hobbies, riches, pleasure, entertainment, some endeavor to build things up like business and reputation and earthly legacy. And these are noble things among the earth, the world. But none of these things ultimately amounts to a hill of beans in Christ's kingdom. Yeah, your work, as much as it's shaped by the gospel, will be celebrated in the kingdom, no doubt. Here's the point. These things, they will fade fast. Those who pour their lives into them they will be left sad like the rich young man who had great possessions. Other endeavors will fade quickly. Our endeavor that we hear from Paul right here lasts forever. He writes, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Paul's saying, I put all my eggs in that local church basket. I put all my bets on the church because of Jesus. I've laid it all on the line for you, saints, is what he's saying. To Corinth, he said, I have constant anxiety for all the churches. Nearing his death, he would later say to Timothy, after encouraging Timothy in his own ministry to lay it all down for the church, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I fought the fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And I got a crown waiting on me a crown of righteousness. And he says, and you believers can have that crown too. You can get that crown too, Timothy. You can get that crown too, saint. You know what Jesus said? Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And if we want a hope that will ultimately be fulfilled in the end, as he described here, what is our, what is our hope? Who better? Who is our hope? We have that hope that in the end, all the labor that we have rendered among the saints will produce a church that is spotless and unblemished. 
If we want that hope fulfilled in the end, if we want that joy that's everlasting, that joy that Paul had laying it on the line for the churches all the time, constantly putting himself in the way of harm because the churches need more strength. They need more of Christ. They need more of the gospel. This is what he did. If we want that joy that is everlasting, and if we want that crown of the victor, as he mentions right here, then endeavor, folks, endeavor to be face-to-face, to build one another up in that most holy faith, to put our blood, sweat, and tears into one another. That effort in and through the local church is never, ever wasted. It lasts forever. It may make you a little uncomfortable to read right here. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Boasting. You know, the word boast has an unfortunate negative connotation in some circles, some among some believers. In the New Testament, however... It's a far more positive word. The way it's used here and in many other places does not refer to an effort to earn salvation or to prop ourselves up. As Paul uses it right here, it's by God's grace that we are able to boast in the accomplishments that multiply praise and thanksgiving to God as his people are perfected to be glorified on that day of Christ's return. So may we join Paul by saying to our local church, to one another, You are my glory and my joy. Maybe it's assumed that pastors ought to think that way. I think we all ought to think that way. If we are so united to Christ, can we really even distinguish ministry to or for or because of Christ and ministry to or for or in because of his body? No. To serve his body is to serve him. To build up the saints is to express that love and worship for Christ. You are my glory and joy. As we close, some of you are like, man, it's a miracle. He hadn't preached very long. As we close, I'll just ask again. I'll just ask this maybe rhetorical question at this point. Why is the local church worth our blood, sweat, and tears? Because it is the great crown jewel of Christ's saving work on the cross. He died 
to save us. He lives to reign in righteousness. Once we were not a people. Once we were children of wrath. Once we were sons of disobedience. But God in Christ redeemed us and made us valuable for the eternal kingdom. And now we are a people for God's own possession, Peter writes, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, living stones being built up into the temple for the Holy Spirit. We are, we are the body and bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you, if you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know if you're talking about me, if you don't have the assurance that you have been redeemed You don't have the assurance of what I just described, that you are truly, fully, forever one of us. The Bible says you can have that assurance through faith in Jesus right now. So don't leave here today without having settled that issue in the very throne room of heaven itself. By coming to God through Jesus Christ. Repent and believe on him. Turn from those sins. Turn from that old man. Turn to Jesus. The one who is our righteousness. The one who is our redeemer. The one who in the end ensures that we as his people, the church, will be perfected, guaranteed. Lasting glory through the church shows us just how important it is that we are face-to-face. Respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's pray. Father, oh, we ask you to give us greater insight into your heart for your people. Show us what it looks like to live selflessly for one another, to give sacrificially to one another to share burdens with one another and so fulfill the law of Christ to rejoice when we rejoice to weep when one weeps to manifest truly as Peter says the Varied grace, the multicolored grace, the multifaceted grace of God as we come together, utilizing the gifts that we have been given through the ministry.